Hey, this is Travis Bennett, the pastor here at Arena of Life Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I pray this builds your faith, encourages you, and brings you to newer levels in Christ. Enjoy the message. But notice there is one book called the Book of Life. That is a book that holds the names of all those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. Remember how Jesus answered the apostles when they said, Lord, we have authority over demons. Jesus replied, don't rejoice about that. Instead, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. If a person is saved, his or her name is written in heaven. And those whose names are found written in the book of life are going to go to heaven. Raise your hand if your name is written in the book of life. Thank you, Jesus. Revelation chapter 20 verse 12 goes on to tell us what will happen to those whose names are not found in the book of life. They will be judged according to what is written about their works on the earth and in other books. Then in verse 15 it says, And anyone not found written in the book of life will be cast in the lake of fire. This is the eternal destiny of every person who dies without Christ. As you read this passage of scripture, you may be tempted to grieve about your loved ones who have already died without Christ. Let me just see a show of hands. You can already feel that. All right? Just be honest, right? I mean, that's a true tragedy. I agree. But don't let the devil get you fixated on something that has already happened that you cannot change. Amen? God is not full of shame, guilt, and condemnation. The Lord is full of life and life more abundantly of what we can do today. I say it all the time to the kids. What's the best time to plant a tree? 40 years ago. The next best time is today. Let's focus on today. Amen? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We each need to make... Oh, we, <clears throat> what God wants you to do is to focus on everyone who is still alive, whom you can help lead into his kingdom. We each need to make the decision that we will do our very best to make sure no one else goes to hell. That's why we must share the saving message of Jesus Christ at every opportunity and use the rest of our time on this earth to rescue as many people as we can so they will not stand before the great white throne of judgment that will surely take place at a future time. But remember, the great white throne judgment is not, is not if you are in Christ. The judgment seat of Christ. There's another judgment for believers which is called the judgment seat of Christ. This event is reserved for true believers and it will occur after the rapture of the church during the seven years of the tribulation while we are in heaven during that time in heaven two events will take place involving the redeemed the marriage supper of the lamb and the judgment seat of christ there are some misconceptions about this later future event one common misconception is that the judgment seat of christ will be a place and a time when we will stand before jesus to give account for the sins we committed in our lives that's not what this judgment seat is about, as we will see tonight. I want to give you an example of this. I was in high school as a senior. We went to a Christmas party, and this guy was speaking. He was, I think it was like an FCA event, but there was lots of kids in the room. And this guy painted this picture of this judgment seat of Christ. And the way he presented that, he said, think about the time when you go to heaven, and you're in this line full of all your friends and all your people, and you go up to give an account of what you did for, in, in your lifetime. And the Lord is going to point out every single solitary sin that you've committed. And I mean, I, hey, it's a good altar call. Lots of kids came forward at the time. And it was, it, he, he painted in uh, this big theatrical thing. And he came to me and he said, and he had only been saved. In fact, I led him to the Lord. His name was Jimmy Moore. I led him to the Lord. 
maybe like at the first of the year, and this was Christmas, so he'd only been saved like three or four months, and he really was pursuing after the Lord. And I rem- and, and obviously, I didn't know a whole lot then as much as I know now, but I remember telling him this. I said, you know what? I don't believe that's true. I believe that now that you're saved, there's those sins that you committed, they're under the blood. And Romans 8 verse 1 says, there is no, therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And I also know that 1 John 1, 9 says this. I didn't say this. I only remember saying Romans 8, 1. But I want to tell you tonight that he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Amen? I mean, if you weren't here for, for uh, faith, faith in God and talking about that, we talked about or repentance. It's why it's so important that we live a repentant heart and get things under the blood. I mean, all know it's more powerful when things are under the blood. Cast all your care on him for he cares for you. So when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it is not for the purpose of condemnation or of rehearsing every sin you ever committed. God is not going to deal with you about sins you have confessed and placed under the blood of Jesus. He will never bring up those sins to you again, not even the judgment seat of Christ, not even at the judgment seat of Christ. He isn't going to say, excuse me, but I'm going to reach into your past and extract from under the blood of Jesus every sin that has already been forgiven, and I'm going to deal with you about all those sins anyway. As we have studied already, once your sin is placed under the blood of Jesus, it is under the blood of Jesus forever. If your sins have been confessed, repented of, and placed under the blood of Jesus, it means God has removed it as far as the east is from the west. We see that in Psalm 103 and verse 12. And he will never deal with you about it in eternity because that sin has become non-existent in the mind of God. Isn't that good? Your neighbor may not be able to do that for you, but Jesus can. Amen? Then what is the judgment seat of Christ? I heard a good quote this last weekend saying, uh, and he was talking about Jesus in being in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, sweating drops of blood. And I never heard it put this way, but he knew this. How many of y'all know he was all man and he was all God, right? But he knew this, that the innocent had to die for the guilty. And so uh, Jesus, he knew that Daddy God wouldn't change the rules So Jesus changed the game. Isn't that good? He changed the game that we no longer had to kill a lamb every single year. He behold the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. While we're talking about the blood, I thought I would share. Isn't that good? He knew knew God wouldn't change the rules. So Jesus changed the game. Aren't you thankful that he changed the game for you? I could preach that. I might just do it. Then what is the judgment seat of Christ actually about? It is the place where he will deal with us about what we did with our lives after we came to Christ. How willingly and how fully did we carry out what Jesus has asked us to do? When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, he will assess our obedience to him after we receive him as our Savior and Lord. It will be a place of evaluation, and on the basis of that evaluation, rewards will be given, and our position of service in the millennial reign of Christ will be revealed. We are currently in a qualification period for the next stage. It's a mistake to think that you are living only for right now, as if what you do right now is your goal. Achieving victories right now is a great goal, but our present level of obedience, obedience is qualifying us for a very long period of service in his kingdom during the millennial reign and right up until eternity. Each of us 
who is in Christ is destined to enter this next age. And what happens at the judgment seat of Christ will determine whether we'll be small or great. Remember that eternal judgment is a fundamental doctrine of Christ that is absolutely vital for you to understand. It is imperative that you know what the Bible teaches about the judgment seat of Christ. Our current level of obedience in this present age is what determines our places of service and responsibility in the next. We will stand without shame before Jesus. Let's explore further what the Bible explicitly tells us about the judgment seat of Christ. The Apostle Paul specifically referred to this future event twice in Scripture. The first instance is found in Romans 14, verses 10 and 12. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God, so then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Notice that it says, we shall stand. The word stand comes from the Greek word peristem, which simply means to stand. It, mean, it does not mean to crawl or to grovel. That's like the antonym of it. When we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ, when we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we will not be shamed for our past sin. The judgment seat of Christ is not a place of shame, nor is it a place of embarrassment. We're going to stand before Christ at that moment, and we will not grovel in his presence. Amen? We will not crawl. We will stand before him as those who are washed in his blood and robed in his righteousness. In the original Greek of the New Testament, the word judgment does not appear in the Greek text at all. Instead, the Greek text uses the word bema. If you were going to translate the sentence correctly, it would say, we are going to stand before the bema of God. This word bema is so very important that you must understand what it means. The word bema is taken from the Isthmian Games, athletic games that were carried out in the ancient city of Isthmia in Greece. It was a biannual event in which athletes competed for a reward under the careful scrutiny of judges who watched to make sure every rule of the contest was obeyed. The Isthmian game were particularly famous for foot races. After the games concluded, the victors came before a platform that was called the Bema. This was the place where the judge stood to place laurel crowns on the heads of those who had competed well and according to the rules. It was not a place uh, where losers were whipped and condemned, so the Bema historically was a place of evaluation and destination. I want to encourage you to read the book uh, by Rick Renner called Life in the Combat Zone. He teaches a lot about this, and I'm telling you, it, it, it'll open your eyes to, to so much good stuff we'll see tonight. By using the word Bema, Paul, in essence, was saying that we are like competitors who are running a spiritual race. And just as victorious athletes of the Isthmian Games appeared before the Bema to receive a physical reward, one day we will be brought before Jesus Christ's Bema, the platform where he will be standing, and there Christ will evaluate, evaluate our various levels of obedience and will designate what kind of reward we will receive. Just as the ancient Greeks' bema was not a seat of punishment for those who lost the contest, the bema of Christ is also not a place of punishment for us as believers. When we stand before Jesus, he's not going to whip, whip us or gasigate us for our failures. Instead, it will be a place of evaluation where Christ will weigh and assess our works, our efforts, and our faith. It will also be a place of designation where, where he will determine the kind of reward 
that should be given to us for what we did in obedience to his plan. This is the nature of judgments, nature of the judgment seat of Christ, which is very different from any crazy concept of this of this future event as a place of condemnation and judgment for us as believers, where the Bible says we will give an account of ourselves to God in Romans 14, 12. The words give account come from a Greek word that means to give a factual report. When we stand before the Lord, he will require us to give a factual report of what we did and what we did not do in regard to what he has asked of us. The beam of Christ is a place where we will not be able to escape the facts as Jesus reviews our level of obedience after we were born again and evaluates us on how well we truly ran our spiritual race. Did we do what he asked of us to do? Did we complete our role in the games of the kingdom during our time on the earth? A factual report is in my future, and it is in your future as well. Paul wrote about this future event in 2 Corinthians 5.10, and he said, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Let's look at some of the words in this verse here. First, Paul wrote, we must all appear. The word appear comes from the Greek word phaneros, which is the same Greek word that describes a revealing of some kind. This word phaneros also is the meaning of making oneself fully known by removing all pretenses. This means when we appear before Christ in the light of the bema, all disguises will evaporate and it will be a moment of great revealing regarding how we obeyed Christ after we were saved. There may have been negative things we were able to hide from other people's eyes during a lifetime, but when we appear before Christ, the real story of our walk with God will be revealed. What happens in the dark will be brought out in the light. I said this uh, in in, um, this last Sunday. um, You may serve God publicly, but do you privately? It will be a time when Jesus assesses our acts of obedience or our lack of obedience as a part of his evaluation process. The phrase translated judgment seat that Paul used in this scripture is the Greek word bema. Once again, it refers to the future event when Jesus will evaluate the redeemed and designate the kind of reward that each is to receive. And notice the Bible says everyone. Everybody say everyone. Say it again, everyone. Everyone will be evaluated. The words everyone is a translation of the Greek word hekastos, which is an all-inclusive word that embraces every single believer. There is no escaping this future event. Every single one of us who have received Jesus as our Savior and Lord is going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive what is due to us according to what we have done in our walk with him on the earth. In fact, Paul said that at that moment, everyone will receive according to what is determined during that time of evaluation. The word receive is a translation of the Greek word komizo, which means to receive what a person has coming to him. If a believer has worked hard and done his best to obey God's plan for his life, he will have a reward coming to him. If he hasn't worked very hard to obey God and do what he has called him to do, he may not have much reward coming to him, even though he is saved and in heaven. We're going to talk about some rewards here in a minute. Paul made it clear that every believer will face this moment of evaluation regarding the things done in the body before the bema of Christ. 
In 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15, without mentioning the Bema seat specifically, Paul explained what is going to happen at this future event and exactly how we will be evaluated when we stand before Jesus. Let's look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation... For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon the foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. This is the word, y'all. This is the word. What you do with your life after the moment of salvation is your gift to God. And that is what is going to be evaluated at the Bema of Christ. Paul was again teaching about the future day of evaluation when we'll be rewarded based on what we have built with our lives. Verse 13 states it this way. Every man's work shall be made manifest. It emphatically does not say our salvation will be tested. It says that our work will be made manifest. This passage lets us know what a day is coming in the future when our level of obedience in life whether we have truly done what God, has, uh, God told us to do and with a right motivation will be revealed. In verse 13, says it will be revealed by fire, which carries the idea of a scrutinizing test. It describes a very thorough and intense examination that will occur when we stand before Christ. The verse goes on to say that time of evaluation will try every man's work of what sort it is. The phrase of what sort it is in the Greek text refers to the quality of our works. This will be the focus of evaluation where, of the evaluation we're going to experience at the judgment seat of Christ. And on the basis of that evaluation, rewards will be given or forfeited. People rightfully ask, what is the criteria Jesus will use to determine what kind of reward I receive? Paul answered the question in verse 14 when he said, If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If what you have done with your life passes the test of time and abides, you will receive a reward. According to Paul's words, he, we will each be rewarded only for what we did that abides. You know, I was thinking about this particular thing as I begin to study this. You know, I think that's why it's so important that we know the why behind we do things. Amen? Like, I think that's one of the reasons we're having a school, because we want to set things up from generation to generation. Like, we don't, I don't, I don't want to do things just to be busy, because I don't need to be any more busy than anybody else. But let's do some things today that count down the road. Like, even in your financial situation the things that you're doing the bible bible tells us this to be a blessing to your children's children right 
and even the decisions that we make today, this is basically what this text is telling us, is that we're doing things that really count today for tomorrow. If you're busy just to be busy, stop. Do things that count. Amen? Ask yourself this question. Am, am, am I executing God's plan for my life in a halfway manner? Or am I, strive, or am I striving for excellence and diligently endeavoring to do everything God's way? Ask yourself those questions. Am I, am I executing God's plan for my life halfway? Hey, like, like we shared this last Sunday, time is short. You might as well jump in with two feet. Amen? Let's go in all the world and preach the gospel. How I many of y'all know we need to get the word out? Remember that when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, Jesus will not reward you simply for much activity, but for what you built correctly and for that which passes the test of time. Is this hard to hear tonight, or is this good stuff to know? Isn't this good? This is good to know. How you build is how you're going to be evaluated. This should make all of us look closely. Everybody say, look closely. Look closely at what we are doing and how we are building in every area of our lives, even, in, even separate, from, separate from our discussion about eternity. What we do now will affect us in the future. How we build now determines how long what we're building is going to last. And it's on that basis we're going to be evaluated at the Bema of Christ. If we build with marble and granite, in other words, if we build our lives according to God's plan so that our works abide, verse 14 says we will receive a reward. It's so important that we conduct a thorough review of our lives with the help of the Holy Spirit. That way we can bring correction where, adju- where adjustments are needed now rather than to wait for the future day when our lives will be evaluated by Christ. Future time of reckoning. How intense is this future evaluation going to be? An answer to that question is found in Matthew twenty-five, fourteen through 30 where Jesus gave principles of eternal reckoning as he related the parable of the master who gave talents to his servants and then left for a period of time. As the master returned, he called his servants and asked for an account of what they did with the talents he had given to them. And the Bible tells us in Matthew twenty-five nineteen that the master reckoneth with them at that time. This is definitely King James Version in KG, uh, in K- New King James says settled. He settled with them. But in the King James, it said reckoneth with them. Are you ready? This is good. This word reckon in Greek is a bookkeeping term that means to compare accounts. This is Jesus speaking. Compare accounts. This word could be used to portray an accountant who is putting together a profit and loss statement for his boss. He is examining the books to determine the true financial status of the corporation. This is no surface review. It's a very deep and thorough investigation. In the context of verse 19, this word means to compare what was given to what the person actually did with what was given him. It means to evaluate. Did you do anything with what was placed in your charge? Did it stay the same or did you increase 
what was entrusted to you. Dad, mom, husband, wife. Man, it's quiet in here. It's hot too. I'm feeling it. You guys are hurting me with your eyes out there. By using this word reckon, Jesus gave insight on how how he will deal with us when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. On that day of reckoning, Christ will look at the profit and loss statement of our lives to evaluate what he gave us compared to what we did with it. <laughs> Think, I knew pastor would agree with me today, tonight. How do we do with what he, he, he told us to do? How did we build our lives? What, what did we do with the assignment, the gifts, the talents he gave to us? And on the basis of what Jesus sees during the time of evaluation, he will designate what kind of reward we should receive. Again, I want to stress that the judgment seat of Christ is not a whipping post or a place of judgment. Did you hear me? Amen. That is not of God. I don't want you to think that tonight. It's not a place of punishment. It's a place of evaluation and designation to determine rewards that will be given to believers who have been faithful. The Bible tells us explicitly about five different crowns. There may be more, but five are mentioned. The crown of incorruption. This is sometimes called the incorruptible crown. This crown is referred to in 1 Corinthians 9.25. The Apostle Paul describes it as a crown that will be given to believers who have practiced self-discipline in life and run a successful race of faith. I don't know about you, but I want the crown of incorruption. In 1 Corinthians 9, 25, this is what it says. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. The second crown the Bible talks about is the crown of rejoicing. This crown is referred to in 1 Thessalonians 2, 19. It's often called the soul winner's crown. I don't know about you, but I want this crown too. Those who are very active in winning souls and going to receive a crown of rejoicing. Proverbs 11.30 says, He that winneth souls is wise. For what is our hope? This is 1 Thessalonians 2.19. Or joy, or crown of rejoicing. Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? Are you seeing it? Verse, or the third one we'll talk about tonight. The crown of righteousness. And you could do messages on all of these. But here's just a, a little example, a little taste. The crown of righteousness. This crown is referred to in 2 Timothy 4.8. It describes a crown that is given to those who are long, longing for Jesus' appearance and have lived a holy life in anticipation of His coming. In 2 Timothy 4.8, it says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love His appearing. Here's the next one, the crown of glory. This crown is referred to in 1 Peter 5, 4. It's often called the pastor's crown because it's a crown that will be given to pastors who have faithfully fed and led their flocks. I want this crown too. I want them all. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. The fifth one is this, the crown of life. This crown is referred to in James 1.12 and Revelation 2.10. It is often referred to as a martyr's crown. Because this crown will be given to those who remain faithful, even as they suffered in order to do what God has called them to do, and who committed themselves to finishing their race, regardless of the difficulties they encountered in life. 
How many of y'all are up against something right now just like this? I'm telling you, you need to look forward to the crown of life. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Revelations 2.10 talks about it too. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. That is such a good word. Amen? That you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. These five crowns are literal crowns that Christ is going to place on the heads of those who stand before him. They represent five kinds of rewards that Jesus will give according to what each believer has done with what he or she has been given while living here on this earth. In 2 Timothy 4.8, the Apostle Paul talks about this holy and profoundly anticipated moment when he will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul wrote, Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Thank God, we who are in Christ will not appear before the great white throne of judgment, but we will all stand, not crawl, not grovel, before the judgment seat of Christ. On that day, rewards will be given to us according to our faithfulness to fulfill God's plan for our lives while on earth. As we stand there and look Jesus in the eyes, if we have done well, we will hear from him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That thought should thrill your heart if you desire to live right and please God in all that you do. All I have learned, as I have learned to live more and more thoughtfully and intentionally for Christ over the years, I have come to the place where everything I do is in anticipation of and in preparation for that day when I will stand before him. Don't get me wrong, there's times where I get off track, but this was revelation to me a long time ago of, of those crowns of victory. I live to hear Jesus say those two simple words to me, well done. Amen? Those times where you, you want to falter and throw in the towel and strangle people and uh, me just be honest tonight. And those late nights inside the study and those things like that. But God has called each and every one of us to raise disciples. To go into all the world and be, be an example. Your eternal future will be determined by your choices on the earth. The doctrine of eternal judgment is so important for you to understand. Because one day in your future, you will come before the beam of Jesus. On that day, you will stand before him without shame or condemnation as he evaluates your life and gives you your rewards for serving him with all your heart. But if you have not yet repented and made Jesus the Savior and Lord of your life, I want to compassionately tell you, and if you're watching online, that unless you do that first, there is a coming, a day in the future when you will be raised to stand before the great white throne to be judged for rejecting Jesus. If you die without faith in Christ, the Bible is absolutely clear. Your future is a lake of fire. There is no negotiating about this truth. That is why it's so very important that you make a decision for Christ today. Now, not only will that decision save you eternally, but it will also bring deliverance in your present life on earth. With that one decision, you will be empowered to live a life free from the dominion of Satan's kingdom and to fulfill the divine purpose you were born on the earth to accomplish. 
And if you are already a child of God, the best way to respond is to make a decision to conduct your affairs and build your life and your works in the way that lasts. Determine today. Everybody say today. I say it again, today. Determine today that you will do right, think right, and build right according to the Word of God to the best of your ability all the days of your life. The Holy Spirit within you will help and empower you to follow through on that decision. Then one day you will stand before Jesus and hear His loving words spoken directly to you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let's say it together. Well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? Come on, isn't this something we need to hear tonight? That uh, those of you that serve in the house of God and things that you do and those, you know, those hard places in your family of where you're going to take your stance. I mean, I've ever had to deal with those things in your family. It's like, I'm sorry, I don't live this way anymore. I'm a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. I talked a little bit about that this weekend of, of resisting the devil and not avoiding the devil. We're going to resist the devil. But that's the thing. I think once we have a revelation of this, we, we, we got cities to build. We got contracts to fill. Amen. We got places to go. There's people to be saved. And we've got to be that example. But just thinking about that, I do want to hear those. And, I, and let me let I want to be very clear about this. We're not saved of works. Because we're saved, we serve. Right? I hope you get that. You, you don't do that. Like I said, just to have a whole bunch of works here on this earth, we do things to get people in the kingdom of God. We do that because we are employed by the kingdom of God to make a difference in people's lives everywhere that we are. We're saved by grace. If it wasn't for him, we wouldn't be saved. Amen? I hope you got something tonight. I really hope you got revelation of how important it is that we live uh, this this life fully. We think right. We... we, we um, um, fully devoted to him, chasing after him. I shared this the other night in prayer, and I want to share the same thing with you, uh, thinking about this. And if you're at a rough place and you're fighting the good fight and you're up against family and things like that, lots of uh, the, the most uh, popular scripture out there is John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And uh, I heard this this last weekend, and I thought it was so good. But the second favorite scripture is Philippians 4.13, which says what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know what we do lots of times? We just use that scripture when we're believing God for something. We only use it for like, uh, maybe we're nervous to talk to somebody about Jesus or whatever it is. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do. Let me tell you, that scripture works not only before you talk to them, but it also works when they reject you. Right? In adversity, adversity doesn't, uh, it, it, it doesn't describe what you are. Adversity reveals who you are on the inside. It reveals who you are. And so during those times, even in the bad places, even in the hard times where it didn't work out the way, where I was quoting the scripture beforehand, I can do all things. Maybe it's something at work or, or something that you really it, need to get 
accomplished and it doesn't happen the way that you thought it was and you were quoting, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I want to tell you tonight, I want to leave you with this, that even in those times that it doesn't work out the way that you thought it would work out or happen in the line of way you thought it would happen in, you can still use that scripture afterwards. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In the midst of adversity, in the midst of things that I'm going against, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When that enemy comes in with shame, guilt, and condemnation, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When he tells you that you're not parenting very good and your parental advice didn't work out the way you thought it would work out, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Fight the good fight of faith. Amen? Praise God. Well, God, we thank you for this time tonight. We thank you for your word, that it is a lamp into our feet, that it is a light into our path. God, tonight, I know in my heart, I'm excited. I'm fully charged to go after, God, what you have in store for me. I'm fully charged, Lord, to, to receive that crown of life that the Lord hath promised to those who love him. Lord, I just pray for that, uh, that, that we would look for those soul-winning crown in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, that, that you would open doors and, Lord, you would give us the ability to see it through the, those spirit eyes and, God, for the opportunity to share the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. For we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And so, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you, if you can use anyone, God, we say tonight, you can use us. We serve gladly. We get our, we get our hands dirty. And we, we don't do it to be saved. God, we do it because we are saved. And we want to serve you in everything that we say and do. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Hey, I want to... Thanks for joining us. We want to thank all of you who give to our ministries here at AOL Church. It's because of you that all of this is possible. You can give now by clicking the link below. And if you haven't already, subscribe and share this message. It helps us reach more people and share the gospel through you. Be sure to stay connected to us through our Church Center app, our website, arenaoflifechurch.org, and follow us on social media like Facebook and Instagram. May the Lord bless you and keep you. His face shine upon you, be gracious to you, and give you peace. Thanks again for listening. Go and make a difference today.